Starting a podcast can be very time-consuming. I've been doing it for more than three years now, and my biggest challenge was finding a way to distribute my episodes across major audio platforms in a way that was easy, effective, and free to use. That's when I came across Anchor. And the best part is that you can actually make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So if you're interested, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What's going on, everybody? This is George Glife, and it's episode 19 of Let's Grab Coffee. I have my man, Mike Smith, right? The misfit, the rebel, the legend. Uh, with yeah. us today. Uh, super stoked to have him uh, on, on this podcast. Just a phenomenal guy. We met actually at Legacy. I heard him speak on one of the, uh, the, the keynote speeches, actually, and was just blown away by, by his passion, his energy. So I tweeted at him uh, right away, actually, during his, his speech, and he, he kindly got back to me right away, set this up. Um, Mike is an incredible dude. I mean, his bio ranges from being a speaker, an entrepreneur, um, a consultant, an ambassador, and he's he's really about uh, nonprofits. So he has a business angle, but a lot of his focus energy is actually for nonprofits. And you know, Rabble Mills, for example, which is a program he created and co-founded, um, focuses on really reducing the sort of the poverty that we see with young adults, uh, even just young kids in general. And the way, he do- the way he does that is actually by getting them more passionate about music, art, skateboarding. In fact, one of the programs of, of Rabble Mills is the Bay, which is one of the biggest uh, nonprofit skate parks. It's 30,000 square feet. And it's not just a skate park, uh, skate park alone. It's, it's actually sort of a community center. You know, they have coffee. They have a, a place where you can sort of just sort of groove and vibe to music. And they have a, a place for art. So he's bringing these different collections of things that, that get people off the streets and, and off the sort of the wrong path and focusing on the good. Uh, Mike has a new book. It's his first book out called Legacy Versus Likes. And uh, I love that. It's very timely because he just spoke at the Legacy Conference in Ottawa. Um, my man is phenomenal. He's doing a lot of a lot of things and uh, just super, super excited to have you on, Mike. Thanks a lot for being here, man. Oh, man. Hyped. Any, anything that's titled Let's Grab Coffee, I'm in. I'm all the way in. Look so, at me. <laughs> I see you got coffee. I got a cup of coffee right here from my uh, – <laughs> we actually brought some coffee with us from our skate park. And so from the, the coffee shop inside of it, it's called the Bay Cafe or whatever. And so – we got some coffee here, but I love it, man. I'm stoked to be here, and I appreciate you having me on, man. Thanks for thinking of me. Love it. So, Mike, look, t- tell us, you know, quickly about who you are. I know in your bio it says, you know, when you were sort of growing up um, academically, you know, you found things challenging, but but you sort of found your way, and you really, really followed your passion, something that a lot of people find difficult to do. How did you do it? How did you build up the courage to do that? Yeah, I think I, I, think I, I started small, and I started with the opportunities that existed around me, and I think for a lot of young entrepreneurs, especially people in their early 20s, I know you want to you want to start your business now and you want to create your business now. And some of you guys are going to do that and you're going to hop in and you're going to you're going to figure it out. I wasn't smart enough to just go for it. And I think that that's just being self-aware as I knew I needed to learn from other nonprofits. I needed to learn from other youth organizations. I needed to learn social work. And I didn't go out and, you know, I didn't graduate college. And so I kind of got my education in, in the trenches by, you know, being a part of nonprofits, being mentored by people who are hard on me, taking risks and taking jobs where I could learn and, and stretch skills in different directions. And so I really, I really focused on the getting good at social work, getting good at building nonprofits part first. And then I went out on my own and started my own when I was 27. And mm-hmm. so 26, I Googled how to start a nonprofit. And then 27, I launched my, my first one. And so um, I, I was able to kind of pursue what I was passionate about pursuing what I love because I, I started with the local opportunities that I had around me and I learned as much from that as I could. And then those local opportunities led to 
opportunities in California for me to learn from people out there. And so I just kind of chased the industry that I loved. And when my opportunity came, I took it. Right. And, and, you know, one of the things, dude, uh, that I think you mentioned, you know, during your speech, but even now, like you just said, look, I Googled how to, how to create a nonprofit. Like it, it's really sort of that simple. I know it's easier said than done, but, but you literally just went out there, you Googled it and you figured it out. Why do you think a lot of people have a difficulty sort of pursuing their passions, even though they might be clear to a lot of people? You know, I think, I think so many people, I think it's twofold. I think one, a lot of people listening to podcasts today don't know what they're passionate about. I think that's the hard part is you have a lot of people who, who don't necessarily know what they love or know which part they're excited about or know what they want to do. And I think part of the, the race in life of like going to high school for so long, you know, going to high school for 18 years and then going to a university for three, four, five, six years. And, and I think maybe what you love and what you're passionate about gets squeezed out and you kind of focus on your studies and your academics and you don't really know what you love or what part of an industry you love. And so for me, man, I don't know. I think so many people struggle to find it or struggle to do it because one, they don't know what their passion is. And two, I think we live in a place today where people people can see someone like what I, what I'm doing and they can see this 30,000 square foot warehouse and the tour buses that we're traveling on and these massive events that we're hosting and people see this stuff, books that you've written. And they're like, I want to do that, but it's hard to do that because you can't bottle up what, what I did or what a lot of entrepreneurs journey was. And you know, there's a lot of this, like do this, have these traits, have these characteristics. The truth is all of those things are situational. The the bottom line when it comes to being an entrepreneur, I don't call myself an entrepreneur. I said that in my speech. I call myself a misfit. But the bottom line to being a misfit is there are going to be these opportunities that pop up in your life, weird ones, crazy ones that you wouldn't have imagined, that you can't study in a book, you can't listen to a podcast, you can't read a blog about. Like It really boils down to choices you make and opportunities that are around you and how you really just jump at it and go for it. And so whether the opportunity around you is to start a podcast and see what happens, like what you're doing with Let's Grab Coffee, or if it's to Google how to start a nonprofit and throw up some skateboard ramps and see what happens, you know, a lot of us have this opportunity around us and we don't always maybe seize it or recognize it because we're focused on what we don't have. And I think that's a big part of my journey is when I come up with an idea, I don't think about what I don't have. I don't think about the degree I didn't get or the money I didn't have or the experience I didn't have. What I thought about was things that I did. I thought about the, the fact that I knew how to build ramps. I knew how to build teams. I knew how to start nonprofits. I knew how to work with kids. So I just took what I had and used that and leveraged it and then found people who were better than me at the stuff I wasn't good at and just asked them to help. And that's really, truly how I've built everything is came up with an idea that I was really stoked on. You know, typically it's a problem you want to solve for the rest of your life. That's what I say the best companies do. It's a problem that they solve you know or they're trying to solve or an industry that they're trying to fix and they're cool being in that industry for for the rest of their life that's what a lot of entrepreneurship is about so i found a problem i was stoked to solve which is helping youth get out of poverty getting kids excited about skateboarding music and art creating opportunities for them to do these things making communities you know people always ask me if i'm a creative it's funny because like i'm not the best artist i'm not the best skater i'm not the best musician but i've created a community and i've created an environment and i've created a place you know and so That's how my creative energy got put out. But I think so often it boils down to people focus on what they don't have, not on what they do. And I think the other part is people follow a finished product or something that's 10 years down the road. And I'm not, I'm not Instagramming today, the, the first ramp that I built, right? I'm not Instagramming the first event Mm -hmm. or concert that I threw. You're watching me 
on a tour bus right now, but you're not seeing when I was traveling around the country speaking for just the cost of airline tickets. You know what I mean? Right. And so you're not, you're not seeing the, the, we're not in the same place in life. And sometimes we follow people who are like making millions of dollars or they've, you know, their company's scaling at a massive rate and they're like, Oh my God, I want that. And it's like, yeah, but you weren't there when this guy was like in his garage doing this with his friends and they were all working other jobs, 40 hours a week. And so I think realistic expectations of where you start at is huge. But man, I think it really boils down to me, entrepreneurship, and why I like calling it being a misfit. It really boils down to there are these moments that come along where you make a choice that is almost the opposite of what seems logical and almost the opposite of what seems like it's going to work. And you go for it anyway. And I think that's where the magic is. It's so true. Dude. And even even for this, like, I mean, you're, you're talking about being resourceful. And I love that so much. I mean, I think it was Denzel who said, Denzel Washington, famous actor. He's like, you know, it's not about what you don't have. It's about what you do with what you have. Yeah. Uh, so, so being resourceful and really leveraging the things that you have today to maximize your full, your full potential. And, you know, even this podcast, for example, you know, it's, it's not, the, I guess, the flashiest. Like, I'm, I'm filming out of my Mac. You know, like, it's, it's yeah. out of laptop. I don't even have, like, production equipment. No, I just, I open it. You know, I, I get people to come together, share their experiences, and I just, I'm with it, man. There's no script. There's no, like, you know, I, I do this during, like, during the day sometimes, you know, skip my lunch. Like, you, you kind of have to get, uh, you, you have to kind of, get, get, you know, get to the dirt. You know, be that, be that yeah. smart, resourceful entrepreneur. And, and for you, and that was going to be my, one of my questions, is what, like, why why define yourself as a misfit, not an entrepreneur? And I, I think you, you highlighted that. One of the things, though, a tattoo, I think it's on your elbow, if I'm not mistaken, or your, your one of your arms is... Uh, stand for the broken, speak for the silent, right? Uh, would you yep. say that's one of your favorite tattoos? And, and why did you get that? Like, why does it mean so much to you? Yeah, yeah. And so um, I'll answer both both questions. The, the tattoo says, speak for the silent, stand for the broken. And that tattoo for me is the, it's like my North Star. It's kind of the thing that guides what, I, what I'm passionate about and what I care about. And like the systems that I, you know, were creating or the nonprofits that were starting the programs we've got, even the for-profit companies that I have, they all aim to bring a voice to people who need it and to try to improve culture and climate in places like schools or places like our communities, especially where there's low-income, you know, low-income youth are located. And so that's what my whole like passion is and everything I do can kind of get boiled up into those eight words. So I got the tattoo to be a constant reminder for what I was fighting for. And so that's where, that's where that came. I don't know if you can see that. Can you see that <laughs> on there? Yeah, man. Yeah, so there's that. So yeah, man, I got that. It's just like it's the guiding star. It's my north star. It's where I'm headed. And the reason I call myself a misfit instead of an entrepreneur is like, I think that I, I think the like ten tips and tricks to being an entrepreneur and like the people starting companies so they can think about how to get bought out already and like people, you know, watching. Maybe we've been, I've been watching too much, you know, Silicon Valley on Netflix on this tour, but like listening to people talk about how they can scale up to get bought and people can invest in what you're doing. It's like, that's just not the lane in the game. That's interesting to me. The, the game that's interesting to me is can I take my friends who are all underqualified and can we keep building and creating these incredible companies and these incredible programs and these awesome nonprofits and these curriculums to help schools. Like I look at what we're doing more from the perspective of, I've got a ragtag group of people around me. I've got a lot of underdogs. I got a lot of people who, who are scrappy. And I think that together we're really creating something special mm. and we're creating something that I think only underdogs and misfits and kind of like the counterculture kids, like what we are, I think mm. we're creating something that only we could create. 
And I don't think that you can 10, 10 bullet point article us in Inc. Magazine. I don't think you can give the five tips to success for what we're doing in a, in a BuzzFeed article. I just don't think you can. I think what we're creating is so special and organic because it's coming out of a place of community and it's coming out of a place of, of social good. And I just think that that's why I feel way more like a misfit than I do like an entrepreneur. And so I don't even know how to spell entrepreneur either. So I have to come up with a word I do know how to spell. But, uh, but yeah, I don't, even though we built successful companies and we built successful nonprofits and I, I just still don't like to call myself an entrepreneur. I like to call myself a misfit. They can call me, somebody else can ring that entrepreneur bell for me or they can call me that when I'm, when I'm done and gone. But yeah, for me, misfit is way more of an appropriate title. I love that though, man, because you're actually, you know, you first of all, you're staying true to yourself, right? You're not trying to be someone who you're not. But one of the points I think that are critical, which you've already made is like everybody wants these, you know, five quick, quick ways to lose weight. You know, the 10, 10 successful things that entrepreneurs should do. And it's, it's all, it's, it's a very linear sort of rigid road that everybody thinks they have to travel on to be successful, you know, but successful, even in its, its meaning is very subjective. Like success to you is very different, maybe to success to me or to anybody watching this. Right. Um, so, so success for nonprofits is, is also difficult. I think you alluded to this too, right? Like for you, you're playing a long game, you know, you're following that passion and a lot of what you're doing is non-transactional too. Like you're doing it yep. for the goodwill of society, you're building communities. So for someone watching this who may want to start a nonprofit, how do you go about doing it while also having that business mind and, and just staying self-sufficient so you can do all that stuff that you're passionate about? Totally. And I tell everyone right away, don't start a nonprofit. Don't like the mm -hmm. truth is a nonprofit is the title. Right. Like it's your 501c3 tax purposes. And it's a t it's just a title. It's, it's paperwork. It's accounting. It's, it's what it is. What makes a nonprofit a nonprofit is the programs inside of it. And you don't have to be a nonprofit to create a program. And that's where people don't get it right. Like people tell me all the time, oh, I want to start a, a nonprofit that that gets socks and gives them to, you know, people in homeless shelters. And it's like, well, what do you need a nonprofit for? Last time I checked, you were fully capable of just getting socks and giving them to a a homeless shelter. You don't need to create a nonprofit. You don't even need to create it. For God's sakes, you don't even have to create an Instagram account or a hashtag to do either of those things. You yeah. can go get socks and go give socks without creating a nonprofit. And here's why I say this to everyone. The reason I think most nonprofits don't have a very long shelf life is I think what happens is you're creating your programs and you're trying to figure out the social good that you're going to do, wherever that is, whatever you're creating this nonprofit for. At the exact same time, you're trying to learn how to build a business and learn how to be a founder and learn how to to establish a board and deal with all the nonprofit stuff that happens. And so you're trying to do two things at the exact same time. And I think burnout is a real thing and people get burnt out and quit. I took the route of, I'm going to learn the, how to do the program part. I'm going to learn and understand how to like make these things work and build this stuff. And then I'll have to learn the, how to build a nonprofit part when I open up a nonprofit. And so I didn't walk in not having learned both of those things. I walked in being really, really strong at knowing how to work with families, knowing how to work with kids and knowing how to make stuff happen. I only had to learn the business part of it when we opened. And so for a lot of, for a lot of young people, I tell them, man, don't start a nonprofit. Don't make it official. Don't make it legit. Go out, create one event, create one program, create one thing. And if it grows into a nonprofit, man, you're going to be so much stronger when you actually hit the start button and officially become a thing. But so many people want to say, okay, we're going to, oh, I have this idea. Sick start a nonprofit. I'm going to get an Instagram. I'm going to get a website. I'm going to make this super official. I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to go for it. And they have to learn how to start a program and be a business owner or someone running a business at the same time. And it's too much for a lot of people, especially people who don't have the life experience or people who don't have, 
you know, I had been working with at-risk youth since I was 18. I opened my first nonprofit at 27. So I'd literally spent nine years of never one, never once in that nine year span did I not have a job, an internship, or was I not volunteering at a high level at some nonprofit in my local area. And so that's what people have to understand is I went to college and at the exact same time, I, I was learning these skills that it takes to be a successful nonprofit founder. And so I think that for a lot of people, they, they want to just start right away. And some people can't don't, don't hear this and say, I'm not saying go out and start your company at right. 15 years old. Some of you are so qualified and you're so talented, but I'm also saying for a lot of people start a quick program, start a one-off thing. And, and I say, if you can't help one person, you can't help a hundred. If you can't figure out how to have an event that's going to impact 200 people, you're never going to impact 20,000 people. You know, if you want to clean the, the, your state of, of the plastic issues or pollution or whatever trash on the streets, clean your city first, clean your, clean your 10 square block first and then clean grow it. from there. Yeah. And hundred percent. Um, well, one of the things that, that you're also saying, like it's kind of bouncing, you know, optimism, I guess, with realism and realism, not in the negative sense. Like I, when a lot of people hear that they're like, Oh, well you're limiting me, but it's not limiting to one's capacity. You're just trying to say, look, like, and this is back to your first point, actually, you're saying, look, if you go to my Instagram right now, you're seeing everything here, you know, like 360. You you weren't there when when I was 18, for example, and I, and I served nine years at different stages of, of nonprofits. Like I went through it, and it's always been a part of my life. So I love that that piece. The question I, I kind of want to ask you though is because everybody has a tipping point, right? The author Malcolm Gladwell talks about this in one of his books, and he says like everybody in life has a tipping point. You sort of one day something happens, it, it builds up gradually, but one day something triggers you to really make that pivot. Do you remember, or maybe do you have one? Like just out of curiosity. Yeah, I think my tipping point really came from, I kind of, and I think I spoke, I spoke about this at Legacy too. Was every, I think every, everyone who goes on their own, hmm. there's a transition that a lot of us make from the, like the we're working for someone, and we're, that's where our revenue stream and our paycheck and our consistency and all that comes from to. We're completely working for ourselves now and it's all on us. Every penny, every dollar, everything is on you. Mm -hmm. And I remember like my moment when I decided that was where my future was. And it was when I, I wrote out a business plan for the Bay, which is what our warehouse is called. And yeah. it was, you know, at that time I was the social worker working at a really big nonprofit. I wrote out a business plan. It was like, here's what we should do. Here's some programs that should go in it. Here's the kind of neighborhood it should be in. And I wrote out this whole plan. And I, I was going to give it to this nonprofit I worked for. And in my mind, it was going to go one of two ways. They were going to help create my idea. I was going to run it for them. It would be theirs, but I would run it and create it. Or they were going to say, no, I was going to quit my job and create it myself and do it anyway. And so it was like, I knew this was my moment. Like I was either going to do it with them. They were going to say yes, or they were going to say no. And I was going to do it on my own. And I called a meeting, walked in there. I had my business plan in one pocket and my letter of resignation in one pocket you know, it was like big, it was like my big boy moment. I walked in there, called a meeting 20 minutes in. They were like, yeah, they were just like, we love you. We don't love this idea. We're not going to do it. I flicked my letter of resignation on the table and was like, I'm out. And then I got home that night. And my first instinct was to call him back and be like, I'm just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> and I, I was like, I, but I did it. I, instead of calling him back and asking for my job back, I literally just got on my old crappy Acer laptop that I had at the time that was like, I don't even think it was a laptop. I think it was one of those first like, tablet laptop collab things that were terrible and i flipped it open and i just got straight on google and was like how to start a nonprofit. and i looked at the 
all the information I could find. I stayed up that night reading everything about other people's work and how they started and what they suggested to do first. And I just went for it. I took a stab at it. And that was in 2009. And here we are nine years later, you know, running an organization that's got over, you know, a million dollar, million and a half dollar budget every year. And we're opening up a school inside of it. I've got an unbelievable staff of misfits and outcasts and underdogs and kids who are just grown organically with us and worked for free forever. People work for me for free for like three years before they got a paycheck. That's how committed our crew has been to this. I've never taken a paycheck. I'm still working for free. I'll work for free at my nonprofits until the absolute last minute. And it's, it's, it's like, for us, it was a matter of, I had the courage to go for it first. And then I think I also had the courage to surround myself with people who were smarter than me. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where a lot of people fail is you got to have the courage to go first. And you also have to have the courage to surround yourself with people who are honestly more talented than you and people who are, who can challenge you and people who can push you. And that's been my magic, you know, kind of people always want to know what the magic is and how we've created this stuff. If you want to be really honest, I'm not the smartest person in the room. I'm not even close to the smartest person in the room, but I'm the one that went first. And so I had that, the courage to give everyone this opportunity to, to have the job that they have and to have the, the opportunities that they have. And so that was a big part of it for us. But man, my moment came from saying, Hey, I'm either quitting my job and, and building this thing or, it's got to, it's going to, it's going to die right here. And I, I had the courage to quit and go for it. Yeah. Like you actually made the, I guess the full leap. Right. And, and that's, that's the one that I find a lot of people have, have a challenge with because it is difficult, man. You have something that's, I guess, more stable, it's secure. You have that income and you just, I guess, drop everything. And you're like, you know what, at least if I drop this at, at one point, I'm not going to regret it. And, and I can always sort of go back to it if at one point things don't work out, but I don't want to look back when I'm 50 or 60 and say, I wish I did this. You know, I'd rather say I did it and here's what happened versus I wish I had and I don't know what could have happened. So I think that that's a very interesting point that, that you made. One of the things that you're saying, too, is like you had the courage to go first. Now, that's huge. I mean, it sounds easy, right? You're like, I know you're trying to be sort of like humble about it, but man, like the courage you would have to, to actually be the first person. You're almost like the springboard, you know, Mike. And, and now what, what you've done is create a platform. And like you said, you have a team around you who fill those, those maybe gaps that you would have. You know, to create that 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 sort of dream team, right? The the goals yeah. the, the in the nineties or something like it's. I mean, you, you you guys have it in different in different categories. One of the things you also mentioned is like through uh, the bay, right? So so community center like that. You're you're also employing uh, people who typically say, in your words, well, like wouldn't be qualified, right? Um, what was that impetus for you, and 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 what what things have you learned from doing something like that? Because that's that's more uncommon than than common, right? Like yeah, I think I think when I think of a qualified person, I don't, I, you know, and this isn't a dig on education, but like I don't, I don't need somebody who's got a, a bachelor's in nonprofit administration. What I need is someone who is going to help me build ramps, yes. help me figure out how to help kids, help me figure out how to create programming that's never existed. You know, if you want to create something that's truly unique and truly uncharted waters you've got to build it with people who have also never been there. And that's what people don't realize. It's like, it's not like I can go grab a guy and say, Hey man, come, come work, come, come alongside me for 16 months, 18 months. Cause you built something identical to what we've done and you can help me see what I'm not seeing. Like that doesn't ex- That human does not exist. Anybody who comes alongside to help me is going to pull from what they've seen at other businesses and other places. And so their input is valid, but the programming that we're creating and the stuff that we're doing, dude, it doesn't even exist. Like we're, we're looking at social work from the place of what if we stopped helping people in crisis and we started helping people 
the week that they got out of crisis. Like what if we were the people that were there right when they got out of crisis mode and we were the people that took them from crisis mode to stable, like in the middle, because everyone's closer to that. And like we slingshot them the other way instead of trying to make sure that they don't end up homeless. What if we try to slingshot them to like middle class from our, our like space of crisis? And like people don't even think about it that way. And so we're looking at how we help social work in a completely different way. And so I think that, I think that for us, it's a, it's a matter of we're trying to think of things differently. We're trying to dream differently. We're trying to push the envelope and be different. And you have to surround yourself with people who think different. And that comes from a place of the kind of expertise I'm looking for isn't someone with a doctorate or isn't someone with a master's. The kind of expertise that I'm looking for is somebody who's willing to risk and have courage to try and have the courage to fail, but also understand the heart and the commitment to what we're trying to, you know, what our outcomes are. And our outcomes are changing people's lives, making an impact, kicking mm -hmm. a dent in some of the issues in our community, ending generational poverty for as many families as we can in our community. Like those are the things that we're chasing after. And mm -hmm. so to do things like that, you have to put together a group of people who are willing to dream different and think different. And I think that that's the qualifications I'm looking for. And that's the kind of skill set I'm looking for. And I can teach someone a lot of things on the fly. Yeah. I can't teach you to have courage on the fly you got to have some of that when you get there i can't teach you to have character or empathy or passion or sympathy or to be a good listener like those are things you got to have when you walk in and right. then we can build off of those and so i typically surround myself with a characteristic and a type of person more so than somebody who you know I, you can't look through a stack of resumes for what i'm looking for yeah yeah no 100 percent, man and and uh, you know one of the things you kind of hit on is, is is the chase like i'm chasing for x right in your book you know you uh, i mean the title says it all really legacy versus likes um even in our talk right now a lot of people can can really see like what you're chasing is a legacy but a legacy not just to say that i built a legacy a legacy to do good for other people and then to have you know i guess the effort the energy and, and all the hard work that you put in to, to say look like look at the impact that i've made not in, only myself but everybody around me i love that piece Versus the likes. Now, the way I understand it is like maybe on social, people are pursuing just the likes or maybe the title or something that that maybe gives you uh, gives you a sort of um, maybe a presence in society, you know, versus actually pursuing something that that you're you're meant for, right? That your DNA is wired for. And so, is that the premise of the book? And, and why sort of title it this way? Uh, why write a book about really pursuing your passion? Do you feel like it's lacking in today's society? Just your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I think it was it was a lot of things. It was wanting you know i wrote it it was interesting i wrote it kind of for my target demo i was trying to hit was kind of like 25 and down you know like that was like the, if you're 25 and under this is sort of who i wrote it for yes. and it was it's interesting when people who are 25 and up when they read it and talk about how hard it was for them too because i think they feel like they wasted a lot of time you know yeah. like the older you get the farther you get from those easier choices to like say i'm gonna hop into this industry because this is where i got put in and then you get successful and now you've worked your way up and it's hard to pivot sometimes into a new industry when you've sort of created this life for yourself. And so I wrote it because I wanted young people to take that risk early and to, to, to identify what they want to live for early. And so, yeah, it was so interesting writing the book and it really isn't a, it's not anti-social media. It's not anti-influencer. It's not anti any of those things. It's more about identifying what you're chasing, like in asking the hard questions that you have to ask yourself about, am I more focused on, people giving hitting the like button am i more focused on just being influential than i am being a leader and leaving a legacy and it just asks hard questions and it's been funny because i don't tell you 
what's right or what's wrong. And I don't tell you what is or what isn't. I just tell you, like, this is what people who build legacies do. And this is what people who build likes do. And this is the difference between the two. And this is the way that their output, you know, it makes an impact on the world. And this is the way that their output makes an impact on the world. And I don't try to paint one as evil or one as better than the other. I just ask the hard questions. And it's so interesting because most people walk away from it and they're like, damn, like I'm really just living for likes. I'm not living for a legacy. And I didn't put that in your head. I just ask tough questions and tell you stories about when I failed and lived for the wrong thing or when I learned a lesson about this thing. And so it wasn't written to like tell you what you are or you aren't. It was written to say, hey, like here's your two options. And most people are in this bucket dreaming about being in that bucket. And it's like I really think most people are kind of caught in the likes bucket because it's easier than the legacy bucket. And the like bucket gives you a lot more gratification on a small scale. The legacy bucket, the gratification I get – there isn't, and I, and I mean this wholeheartedly, and anybody on social media or anybody with a following wouldn't even be able to open their mouth, post this comment. The feeling you get when a video goes viral or the feeling you get when a photo blows up on social media means literally nothing compared to the feeling you get when a family walks out of a homeless shelter and into the house for the first time that they have. Or the feeling that a kid gets when they land a kickflip down a stair set at your skate park there isn't a fo- there isn't a photo or a video or a movie. It doesn't exist like that real life, real feeling of like excitement and joy. And like this is going to be a life tip, a tipping point for a kid like that, that you can't bottle that up and put it on Instagram. There are no amount of snap streaks that can equal the way that that makes someone feel. And I think that's the part that most people don't understand is what we're creating is so much bigger than a post or so much bigger than a photo. Yes. But most people settle in for the photo and the post because they're substituting that quick little like instant gratification and instant joy and instant moment of importance for something that could be far bigger. And I'm just surrounding myself with people and trying to push people in a direction that's like, that's cute. Like it's cute to have this following and this platform and you can monetize it and good for you. And you can be faint. You can make $500,000 a month on Twitch. Like there are people who do that and that's mm-hmm. awesome. And like, that is so great. I guarantee you that people making $500,000 a month on Twitch, are you going to use that money to do things that are going to bring them joy and excitement that social media can't capture? And so the truth is, I think living for likes and living for people to see your success, those moments are far less important and far less gratifying than the moments when, in my mind, a kid gets out of generational poverty. A kid goes from failing school to passing school. Uh, homeless youth finds their way and gets off their feet and enrolls into college for the first time, even though they applied from the homeless shelter or the kids who are sitting in my coffee bar every day, trying to figure out how they're going to change the world. And like the do it yourself culture of like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to create this. I'm going to make this, I'm going to change this. Like I'm going to do something like that group of people is contagious. And every person in that group knows the difference between the feeling of a photo going viral or a video going viral and creating something that makes an impact. And we're not fishing for likes. We're fishing for, for legacies. We're fishing to make a difference. That's what we're fishing for. Yeah. I guess you're also like, you're not, you're not so, you're not so concerned with, with, you know, a thousand maybe likes on on this or a million views on, on this video, because like, yes, those numbers are nice. And as you said, if you're an influencer and, and, and that's sort of your hustle, great. But in terms of the tangible impact, even if it's, as you said, one family, one person, like if you really, really make a difference in someone's life, and, and by the way, Mike, that has a binomial sort of uh, impact 
So, so for example, like if you impact me, right, and, and you really change my surrounding, you change my whole mindset. Now I have a career. I went from homelessness to, to at least moving into my first home. Everybody around me is also going to be impacted. So yep. you change one person, that person changes maybe five. Those five people change five. And it's kind of that story that goes back to the self, right? But before you can change the world, there's, there's that, that old sort of proverb. It's by, by an unknown monk who says, like, you know, there's this guy sort of goes to change the world, and he starts there first. I want to change the world, figures out he can. Change the country, figures out he can. Change the town, figures out he can. Because everything is too macro. He ends up being like 80 years old, and he's reflecting back on his life. And he's like, if only I changed myself first. I would be able to impact my family, my family, the neighborhood, the neighborhood, the town, the town, the state. Um, So the whole point there is like for you to be able to make those impacts, though, right, to be able to write the book, to lead all the nonprofits that you do, to consult, to speak like, you know, I know it must be tiring as well. Obviously, like you're on the road right now, um, you know, you're traveling a lot, you're speaking, you're doing all these sorts of things while just maintaining a balance within yourself, your relationship. How do you do that? Like. What's, what's your sort of method for balance? How do you stay healthy mentally, physically? Yeah, you know, and like that's a, that's a hard one. It's like I was always – we'll go to physical first. Physically, I was always in really good shape when I was young yeah. and then life on the road and traveling, you know, like I, it was hard. Like you don't eat well and it's hard to take care of yourself. And, you know, it was like over the years, like you know, each year I kind of gained like five pounds here, four pounds there. And like I, I ended up like 20, 25 pounds heavier than I wanted to be. So this year I made a, a focus. 2017, I, I – lost weight and got kind of like i'll call it less fat i got in shape again and uh you know now i'm gonna i'm gonna really spend 2018 when i get off the road here and really work out hard this summer and kind of make it more part of my routine and just eating healthy and making better food and exercise choices and so like it's hard dude being on the road is tough when you're you know you're a normal stop is like a gas station every day and that's like Mm -hmm. where we stop on the bus so that's hard and then the the part about like relationships has really been like, they just kind of have to go with me. You know, that's just been a part of my wife and I's journey is it takes me traveling to be able to do a lot of this. And it takes me being on the road to do a lot of this. And so, you know, my staff, there are two people that one of my board members and one of the people who work at the Bay are both on the, on our bus right now. And we're able to have conversations about important things that we need to have conversations about. And so meetings happen late at night, meetings happen at weird times, meetings get canceled because I'm stuck on stage longer than I thought I was going to be, you know? And so there's a, there's a whole, there's a whole host of just things that my lifestyle makes my work's lifestyle just different from what most people, most people do. And and I think it's just being, being really aware of moments when you're tired, being really aware of moments when you need a break and being aware that there are seasons to entrepreneurship and seasons to speaking. And, and some seasons are really heavy and crazy and some seasons are really mellow and you just need to let each season be what it's supposed to be as well. And so I think early I, I, I built this speaking career and I built this, this, you know, ability to create videos for schools and I, I didn't shut it off. And I kind of like ran it all, like everything was go time and hustle time. And it was, it kind of, it was, it made the relationships around me difficult and it, it was hard for me to maintain just like a 365. I'm going to go and travel approach towards things. And so, I'm realizing the bigger the stuff gets, the bigger the bay gets, the more I need to be there and be home and be present for it. And the bigger speaking gets and the bigger my videos and like the producing gets, like the more I need to be in one place and really focus on one video to make sure it's really impactful. And so, you know, the, the, the bigger things get, the more time it takes to create them. And at first I was like scrappy and quick and we had a little camera and we were running and gunning, but things have gotten bigger now. And so I need to take more time to, to create the things that we're creating because it takes time to level up. And we're 
we're getting here for the first time. You know, we've never had this many people using these videos. I've never had this many people coming into the Bay. I've never had these many programs. I've never had this many staff, you know, I've never been on a tour bus this big. And so everything I'm doing right now is kind of the first time I've done it. And so I'm constantly having to readjust and reevaluate. Is this the best way? Is this the healthiest way? Is this the smartest way? And so I'm learning a lot on the fly too. And I think that's a big part of the journey for a lot of us is like, maybe I'm don't call myself an entrepreneur because they feel like they've got it figured out. And I feel more like a misfit who's figuring it out. But yeah, I think I'm still on the journey and I think I'm still really young in our, my career. Um, and so learning how to be healthy is something that is just as important as learning how to be profitable and learning yeah. how to be, you know, a better boss or a better leader. And so it's a big part of being responsible for being the person in charge. You got to take care of yourself. And so I'm learning that every, every year. And this year I started to take physical health a little bit more serious. Well, I appreciate your honesty. Even. I know it's difficult. You know, you're pointing that out. It's like, you know, you go from, from this level to this level and sometimes it can happen too quickly. And sometimes you don't have all the things figured out and you're trying to, you know, put this puzzle together. And sometimes you kind of forget about yourself, right? Because everything you're doing, I mean, it's part of your life too. It's not like for you, it's not like work, you know, personal life. It's like everything's blended. This is part of your life. This is kind of who you are. You just manifested into maybe the platform, the skate park. But they, these have these have yourself in them, right? And then you sort of let go of maybe the health. and uh, But being cognizant of it and also being, transparent like look dude this is what it is uh but i'm i'm telling you like this year i'm going to focus on it once i figure out that balance love that about you dude um and, and so just quick a quick question now is like so you're on the road uh, are you hitting like what what place are you going to how's that working out what are you going to do i just kind yeah, of want- so, yep so we're on our way right now do you want to see it you want to see what we're yeah. currently in? Oh, man. Fun. yeah we're uh I like this. i'm gonna open up the window here to the tour bus real quick so you can so yeah so it is uh it's currently snowing out here in oh so that's the bus it's kind of snowing everywhere but yeah we uh we stayed at this hotel in the middle of a little town in the middle of nowhere and uh we're we're on the bus right now and uh yeah it's like it's so cold, but uh, but yeah, we're in Minnesota right now on our way from Rapid City to uh, to Chicago, and then from Chicago I fly to Vancouver, Vancouver I fly back to Chicago, and then Chicago to like Virginia to Texas to Missouri, and so I'm I'm kind of traveling all across the all across the country. Um, I go from Vancouver back to Ottawa, and then Ottawa to Chicago actually, so I'm in Canada for a week. Um, but yeah, it's like a, a pretty crazy run for me, and and I go pretty hard ping-ponging all across the country from now until the end of april and then the end of april the tour wraps up and we're able to kind of start the next season of what we're doing that's awesome man i know know you're a busy busy guy a lot of things on the go for you um i'm gonna ask you one last thing before we end this and and just one thing too if you're ever in toronto you gotta let me know all right we'll take you have a good time i actually do this in person but um appreciate everything you you, you've told us man And, and just learning about your story is phenomenal I, you know, one of the things I'd like to ask every person I interview is if you have one piece of advice, it could be two or three, that you would leave to someone watching this, preferably, you know, they're in their 20s, uh, what would that be? Man, I think if, I think there's a there's a level of look for those moments where you can look for those moments where you can take a risk, go be around somebody who can teach you things, go take a risk and take a job where you can learn and experience things that you've never experienced before. But at some point, especially in your twenties, 
because your 20s is filled a lot with wishing and talking about what you're going to do. And there's going to come this moment where you step up and you actually go do it and you go for it and you push and you really strive to be that person or create that company or build that brand or start that, that podcast or whatever it is. But for a lot of people, they wish and talk and it's fun to wish and talk and it's exciting, but there's a scary part about doing something and I want to push as many people to doing something as I can. And so I'll tell anyone listening to this, the same thing I tell almost everyone I meet when I'm on a stage somewhere is like, some wish, some talk, some do, and you're going to fall into one of those buckets and you never want to look back on your life and think, I wish I stopped wishing and talking. And we're all going to be stoked on the things that we did. And so get out there and do, get out there and go for it. Get out there and take risks, get fired, take a chance, interview for a job, start a program, figure it out. But like, you got to really keep pushing. That's what your twenties are for. My man, Mike Smith, you heard it here first episode 19. Just do it. Mike, really appreciate you, man. Keep being awesome. All right, brother. All right, guys. Much love, dude. All right, man.